Good morning, everybody. Uh, I know that for this last round, you were sitting for quite a while, so if you need to stretch or move, uh, please do that. It's wonderful to sit on these cool mornings um, to feel the, the end of summer and the beginning of fall. Today I want to, as I put on Facebook, I want to get into this whole topic of anger. Um, And hopefully we'll have some time to kick it around between all of us, so I hope to not go on too long. Um, I'll start with a quote by a a Franciscan um, monk who was born, well, I I don't remember his birthday, but uh, he lived at the turn of the 20th century. And I believe he's British. He said, the world needs anger. The world often continues to allow evil because it isn't angry enough. If you were to do a survey, quick survey of Buddhist literature, sutras, and teachings, both classic and contemporary teachings, I imagine what you would find would be the message, get over your anger. Let it go. Change it to something more pleasant. Change it into compassion. That's one that's quite common. Anger in Buddhism has been labeled evil. And to... to, uh, a lot of practitioners being angry means not being spiritual. In the 10 cardinal precepts, which we take as a way to more or less become an official Buddhist uh, in a ceremony called Jukai that we do, and hopefully we'll do one sooner than later here, um, one takes these vows, these 10 cardinal precepts, um, as a way of embodying and voicing their wish to become deeper with their practice. And one of the vows, the ninth precept, is traditionally worded, I vow not to become angry. And I suspect that this traditional Buddhist view is one that we might harbor within a side of ourselves, this wish not to become angry. Um, No doubt for most of us, anger is a pretty thorny issue. We may um, 
see anger as something to be avoided at all costs. The question is why? For one, I think that it's because our early experiences with anger in our childhood, in our upbringing, wasn't the best. In Buddhist terms, we've all been conditioned to see feelings, especially what we would label negative feelings, as problematic. We've all had parents and teachers and adults in our life when we were children that gave us the message one way or another that feelings were not okay. And certain feelings were not okay. To to give a few examples of that, I thought I would share with you from this book called Living Like You Mean It by Ronald Frederick. And he's a um, spiritual practitioner of some uh, stripe or another, uh, but he's also a psychologist and a psychotherapist. Um, and I love giving this book or recommending this book to clients of mine who do, to, who do therapy with me um, because it gives a little window into why we might have such difficulties with our emotional life. So these messages that we've gotten um, when we were young take different forms. And here's, I'm just going to read a few little bulleted points here. He says, for example, a child playing with his toys gets frustrated and angry when one rolls out of reach. His mother gets anxious at this display and freezes up. The child senses her distress and over time learns to restrict his anger. An infant gets excited, waving her arms, kicking her legs, and squealing in delight. Her father withdraws abruptly, hoping she'll calm down. The child senses the distance and over time learns to curb her excitement. A little boy is frightened and cries when the neighbor's dog barks at him. His father reacts with irritation and disdain. Over time, the child learns to suppress vulnerable feelings like fear and sadness. A little boy, overwhelmed by his father's demands, retaliates in anger, saying, I hate you. His father, unable to deal with his son's anger at him, emotionally and physically withdraws and does not speak to his son for several days. This child learns to fear his anger and to feel guilty for asserting himself. Good examples of how early we may get the message that feelings are not okay. <clears throat> the other reason that I believe um, that people see anger as evil is that we associate it with acting out. We associate anger with 
action. It's true. Every feeling has what you might call an impulse, an action that's associated with it. It's not necessarily manifested, but it's an urge to act. With anger, that urge is to lash out, to hurt somebody, either through our words or through our actions. And for many of us, that includes parents and other people in our life that did act out, that did yell, scream, or hit. So in our minds, we may be equating anger with acting out. And so getting angry for many people raises their anxiety. It makes them anxious. It makes them um, worry that they will act on that impulse to hurt. When I do um, therapy with people, one of the first obstacles that we try to get clear on is differentiating the experience of anger from uh, acting out on anger. In other words, the internal experience of anger versus how it's manifested in the world. In therapy, I encourage my clients to experience their anger. And, and, and it's not uncommon for people, when they begin to try to do that, to become nauseous or tight or foggy or teary. And all of that is anxiety. They become very anxious around their anger. And so to pause and say, yeah, who would want to feel that? If that's what we take to be anger, who would want to feel that way? Nauseous, tied up in knots, can't think straight. Who would want to feel that? I can't blame them for wanting to avoid that experience. So what happens is, when we have that experience, we try to rein it in, push it down, and control it. But this really is a recipe for disaster. Um, when we're anxious, and this is all coming, becoming more clear in the neuroscience, in the, in the research, when we're anxious, that's when most violence happens. That's when most acting out happens. If you ask people after a violent episode what state of mind they were in, when they describe it, usually what they describe is a lot of anxiety. They couldn't think straight. All of a sudden they blacked out. You know, Their heart was racing. Their chest was tight. That's all anxiety. <clears throat> so the truth is that most people, when they lose it, so to speak, that's the state of mind they're in. 
the traditional Buddhist admonitions not to become angry, if we misunderstand them, can actually make us more anxious. Because now not only do we have all these old models and experiences from our past sort of bearing down on us, telling us not to become angry, but now we have our Buddhist teachers and other people in the Sangha telling us to not be angry. And what happens is that meditation practice gets then drafted into this army of defenses that we have against our feelings. Meditation practice becomes a brick in the wall of our defensive way of relating, keeping us kind of on the surface. I don't want to have that feeling, so I'll use meditation to try to calm the water, so to speak. And if you add to that the teachings around letting go of preferences, right, that we have in Zen, of putting others before yourself, it's no wonder that Buddhist practitioners become so confused and end up developing what I like to say is this kind of false spiritual persona, like a sense of just being a spiritual person, of being a good little Buddhist. What would happen and if, if instead of becoming anxious when you were angry, you could just experience anger without getting anxious, what would it look like? What would it feel like? <clears throat> Years ago, um, Sanya Roshi, at the end of her formal training in Zen, uh, began to work with each of the precepts as a practice. This is a part of our training. When you get to the, the formal end of your training, obviously there's no end to practice. You take each precept, I vow not to kill, but to cherish all life. I vow not to steal. You take each precept into your meditation and you sit with it. And you work with your teacher to look at each precept from different angles to get an understanding of what are these moral and ethical teachings trying to get at. When she got to the ninth precept of, I vow not to become angry, she went to Kaplo Roshi and she said, how can I vow not to become angry? That's ridiculous. And he said, good, okay. So now your practice is to reword it, reword the precept. And so she did. And what we have now is, I vow not to indulge in anger, but to practice forbearance. I vow not to indulge in anger. So what does it mean to indulge in anger? <clears throat> our Zen practice shows us how we cling to our inner world of thoughts and opinions. Each time we sit, we get pulled in again and again into that thought stream, into the world of ideas, and what happens is we leave the present moment. 
And Zen teaches us to return to the present, to what is true. And just be able to distinguish this life from our thoughts. When we pursue our stories or thoughts about how wrong somebody was when we're angry at them, and how right we were or are, we're no longer present. Our feeling of anger that becomes bogged down in anxiety, it gets bogged down in thought. And what happens is we check out from being here. By indulging in anger, we also develop hatred. When we say or think that we hate someone, we negate any redeeming qualities that they might have. I hate you. We see them in black and white terms. And this, this view, this hating, usually stems from our resistance around feeling multiple things to one person. How could I hold on to this anger if I also let other feelings in? When I decide that someone is absolutely awful and I hate them, that thought acts as a barrier to prevent any positive thought or feeling from arising. You see this all the time when people talk about when they demonize politicians, for example. You know, Trump, he's got no redeeming qualities. He's evil, you know. And that serves our minds of, in, in a very particular way. It, it takes away the complexities of people and flattens them out into a two-dimensional caricature. And so hatred is a part of that process of indulging in thought. In Buddhism, we have the three poisons. And they're often translated as greed, anger, and delusion, or greed, anger, and hatred. I mean, greed, anger, and ignorance. And these three poisons are at the root of clinging and aversion, pulling in and pushing away. But I would argue that actually hatred is a more accurate term for, for one of those three poisons. So instead, it would be greed, hatred, and delusion, rather than greed, anger, and delusion. Sure, when we get angry, we want to push people away. It is healthy. It can set boundaries. It can establish our safety. It can be very clear to somebody when we're angry with them that what they're doing is not acceptable. But with hatred, when we push away with hatred... What we're doing is we're trying to make something permanent. Hatred is a permanent thing. I hate you. End of story. That's it. 
But do you see that why this is actually one of the three poisons? Because when we say we hate somebody, we are trying to make that permanent. That goes against the very fabric of the Buddhist understanding that all things are impermanent. There is nothing that is permanent. And so hatred becomes a way to try to set in stone a feeling. The Buddha realized how that human experience, how our human experience, involves this ping-ponging back and forth from clinging to pushing away, pulling in and pushing away. And this happens in the realm of anger as well. We either cling to our thoughts about how justified we are in our anger, or we ignore our anger and try to push it away with thoughts like, I can't get angry. I'm too, that's it's too bad. I shouldn't be angry with them. They didn't mean it. But the result is the same, whether we're clinging and 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 uh, uh, holding on to this, these angry thoughts, or whether we're trying not to get angry. Both are forms of resistance. The truth is, when we get lost in our thoughts, our anger tends to stick around even more. There's that famous story in Zen, which is, I'd like to adapt for this. It's a very quick uh, you, many people know it. Um, it goes like this. There were two monks and they were traveling. You know this story? And they went uh, on pilgrimage and when they got to the river, they saw a woman. I don't know why they always have to make it a woman. <laughs> uh, let's, let's, let's change that. There was a guy <laughs> who couldn't get across the river. And so one of the monks, actually, I have to keep it a woman for the story. But there is something that needs to change in there, right? Okay. So, so the senior monk uh, picks the woman up and helps her across the river. And when he gets to the edge of the river, puts her down and she goes on her way and the monks travel along on their way. And... After a while, the senior monk knew something was up because the junior monk wasn't saying a word. And so he asked, what's, what's going on? And he's, the junior monk said something like, well, you know, you know, brother, that we're not supposed to touch women. We have a vow against touching women. We're celibate monks. And you picked up that woman and carried her across the river. And to that, the senior monk re- replied, I put that woman down at the edge of the river a long time ago. You're still carrying her around in your mind. The senior monk simply carried that woman across, and when he got to the other side, he was on to what was next. He didn't cling. This is how to work with anger in practice, neither clinging nor pushing away. The junior monk held on. 
consumed with all of his thoughts and boiling over. Anger is like that. Things will happen that will make us angry. People will make us angry. We will get angry. We will experience it. We will immerse ourselves fully in it. Like the monk waiting across with the woman. But then we put it down and we don't carry it on and on. <clears throat> but at this point, it's important for us to, to recognize and sort of tip our hats, so to speak, to our conditioning. Because so many of us had so many bad experiences with anger, it's not simply as it's not as simple as saying, "Okay, I'm just going to experience my anger," right? If it was only so easy, our brains have these well-worn pathways, and it's not easy to lay down new wiring. We can. I mean, that's what my experience is in is with working with people in practice and in therapy is the ability to rewire. But to feel our anger without acting or without suppressing, acting out or suppressing it is difficult. For some reason, the process of accepting and feeling our anger may need more assistance. And this is why I rec uh, often recommend therapy to practitioners who struggle with this. But our Zen practice is powerful in that we can use it to learn to step out of our conditioning. So to do that, here are some steps. First, and probably one of the most important things, is to really, when we begin to feel irritated, annoyed, rageful, or angry, to say it to ourself. To say it. I'm angry. Not I'm upset. Not I'm sad. But to say it. I'm angry. Even if we're not saying it to somebody else, but to say it internally to ourselves. <clears throat> Next, we need to acknowledge our conditioning. And notice that there are all of these habit forces that are tugging at us at that moment, telling us to ignore it or to push it down. They want to get rid of the experience. Third, we may need to spend some time thinking about how strong and painful these habits and forces are inside of us because if we don't we may not connect with our wish to be free from those forces so spending time reflecting on the fact that you don't want to respond in the same habitual way is important next we and, and this is something that we can do and learn to do through our zazen, is to spend time learning to tolerate our feelings. 
inside by returning to our physical sensations of what anger feels like physically. To be able to tolerate it. Just like the same reason why we ask people to sit still during meditation, to be able to tolerate that pain. We're not doing it because we're trying to punish people, but we're trying to build up one's ability to stay present in the midst of difficult experience. And with anger, we haven't built up a tolerance for it. It's usually an anxiety-producing experience that we want to get out, get away from. And when we do this, we want to notice all of the thoughts that want to take us away from that physical experience. All the thoughts that say, wall off, distance, act passive-aggressively. Shut down. Have a tantrum. Keep it to yourself. All the ways that we, those are all ways that we distance from the experience of anger. So by practicing this process, what happens is we begin to get a handle on our reactions. We begin to see how old our reactions are and how perhaps they're actually tied to early experiences in life. We may see how we, our reaction is quite severe compared with what somebody has done. Or the opposite could be true, how our experience is not nearly as powerful as what's called for. Over time, this process gets easier. And as we practice, we do become less reactive if we're truly practicing. A teacher named John Tarrant, um, who many of you probably have heard of, said, in the long arc of practice, most people do find that they have less intense aversions, meaning reactions. They have less of what you would call disturbing emotions. But it's also true that when it comes to so-called disturbing emotions, we can ask, who is it disturbing? Who is it disturbing? And why is it disturbing? The disturbance is measured against a framework that is illusory. Your disturbing emotions have Buddha nature just as much as your nice, calm ones do. They may actually be more likely to lead you to a deeper level of awakening than your nice, calm ones. Again, just to repeat, your disturbing emotions have Buddha nature. There's nothing outside of true nature. We don't need to transform our anger into anything We don't need to change it to anything else. Why? Well, because you can rest rest assured that it will change all by itself. Everything does. It won't last. 
And it's only our resistance to these experiences that keep them around. So, that's, I have some other things, but rather than take time with it, I want to open it up for a few more minutes um, to see how that struck you. What is it inside of your experience? Um, Is this something that's new, or is this something that you've been practicing with for a long time? Um, What is your experience with anger? If anybody has any thoughts, I would love to hear them. I'll um, bring up a couple of ideas, which is that um, uh, I, because of my childhood experiences, I don't really experience anger a lot. I, it is just doesn't come up for me, um, which I don't think is particularly healthy. But um, I worked for a very, very long time on dealing with other people's anger because I reacted uh, to other people's anger as I would if I were a child as opposed to bringing my adult self to the situation Mm -hmm. so that my reaction was uh, that I was in trouble or I was not safe, um, that this is scary. And it took me a very, very long time to work on... um, staying present to my body with as an adult, um, completely as an adult. And there were times that I would say to a friend, I'm, I'm leaving my kid with you, you know, because I'm going to be somewhere with somebody who's pissed off, and I want my adult. So I kind of pretend that I left my child. Uh, you know, will you watch her because she can't come today? And um, it made me be able to stay present around someone else who was angry. So, uh, and and to be to stay. Uh, do I own part of this? You know. And if I do, answer to that. If I don't, then I don't own part of it. It's just that someone can, uh, someone else can be caustic or whatever. But um, hmm. I think part of my experience needs to be to address why I don't get angry and why. Um, why I don't have that ability to have a boundary that way and to be angry. Mm. Um, yeah. And that's another piece of, of the childhood reactions. But yeah. I liked what you talked about a lot. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. yeah. You know, what? one thing that came up for me is there's another dimension of anger, really, which I think is really a positive dimension. Aside from that, it gives us an opportunity to practice and all of that business. Yeah. But I think of like Dr. King. Yeah. And I, I, I was in the presence of Dr. King giving uh, speeches a couple of times. And that man was angry. He was angry. And if it wasn't for his anger, I don't think he would have done what he did. And it was what it wasn't that he was acting out his anger by hurting anybody. He he, he didn't do that. <laughs> but his anger had had a kind of energy that was <clears throat> important and good. So I, and I always remember that. I don't know how that fits in. 
fits in with what you were saying. Fits in perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. Anger, anger. So, so the thing is, going back to this idea that most people think when they experience anger, most people's experience is that it's not a, a pleasant experience, that they get tied up in knots, so they don't want to experience it. But Dr. King was not tied up in knots. He was free. He was alive. He was powerful. That's what a true anger is. When we're angry, our thoughts are clear. We are present. We can set boundaries. We know what we want. That's real anger. So if, if that's not your experience when you get anger, angry, then you have work to do. And we all struggle with that. Especially with people, it's easy to get angry some, with strangers perhaps, but with people that we love or that are important to us, it's that much more difficult to not get anxious when we're angry. So thank you. It's very important to bring up how powerful and life-changing it can be. So for me, I mean, I guess you raised a good point about Dr. King was angry and angry for the right reasons. I get angry and I immediately have a sense of guilt. Mm. Usually the angerness that I come up with is very personal and somewhat petty sometimes. I'm angry because of this. I'm angry because of that. It's not a social, cultural outrage that I'm angry about. It's a big, petty, personal thing that I'm upset about. And I immediately get, uh, feel guilty yeah. soon afterwards. You know, like, and it's also because when I do get angry, it affects people around me. So then I feel guilty about uh, causing them pain because I'm being childish. <laughs> So, uh, my alternative is to be poopy. Um, <laughs> and that is not good either. So, um, I have never figured out how to deal with that. Could you define poopy? Poopy is, you know, <laughs> 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 uh, being better withdrawn and uh, just going to, no, I'm just going to go by myself. What you said uh, rung out very strongly in what you were saying to me was um, uh, when I get angry, it's childish. Mm -hmm. It's petty. All these judgments about it. Mm -hmm. That somehow what your experience is is not important. Or if it is, it's just that I realized that by being angry it had such an effect on other people. Yeah. That that feels guilty. So even even if I feel like my anger was was right, uh, I just feel guilty about showing that yeah. that emotion. I think I read too many Buddhist books. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to the club. It's very it's very prevalent. Be, and part of the reason is we haven't learned a language about how to express anger. Um, Here's a couple of tips. These are this is from a, a man who I work with personally, 
one of my mentors, and he's, he's um, a wonderful resource. He says, when we become angry with somebody, he, um, like I said, to say first that you're angry, not be vague about it. To say something like, um, and coming from as calm of a place we can, I feel like screaming at you right now for not taking out the garbage. Should I do it now or should I wait for the next commercial? <laughs> this can often diffuse an emotionally tense situation. He says, pick one specific instance that provoked you. Do not give a laundry list of, a, of how bad the other person is or how many things they've done in the past. Don't elaborate. Say you're angry briefly, why you're angry, and then stop. Don't try to justify your anger. No one else on that on the planet may feel angry um, over that particular event, but if you do, you do. It's just the way you feel. It's a fact. State the fact and stop. So don't try to justify it. Don't try to change the other person you're mad at. If you want them to change, that's a sales pitch. Make that a separate conversation. If you want someone to do something they would not otherwise do just because it would make your life better, you have every right to ask a favor. Don't demonize, neither in your tone nor your words. <clears throat> it's possible to feel anger towards someone who has done nothing wrong. If that's the case, acknowledge both, as in, I'm angry, and yet every part of me knows that you had good intentions and did nothing wrong. So you're taking responsibility, but you're not trying to cover up your anger. And then pick an optimal time to say you're angry. It's not about saying everything you feel all at once. Wait until the kids are asleep, for example, or wait until your company leaves, you know, or you're not exhausted, or the other person isn't. Most things can wait. And then he says, don't repress your anger. Fully acknowledge it to yourself and talk to the person you're mad at, if at all possible. So anyway, some tips on how to begin to do it. But under under we have to we have to get under this idea that somehow we should be ashamed of having a feeling. It's contrary to the Buddhist experience that everything has Buddha nature. What, who wrote that? I mean, who was your friend? Uh, his name is Marvin Scorman, and he's a therapist who lives in Rochester, New York, and uh, he's been doing therapy for 40 years, and he, he has trained me in um, over a number of years. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so he's, he's writing a book, and I, I hope if he listens to this talk, um, he'll hear me giving him pressure right now it's uh, to finish it. Um, it's called something like there's a working title and it's there's part of the title is murderous, torturous rage. 
and other perfectly normal human emotions. <laughs> Good title. Yeah, I was going to bring that up that, that uh, nobody else seems to have mentioned, but I find anger very terrifying. Mm. My mother was mentally ill and spent a lot of time in, in mental hospitals and um, had an extremely labile temper. And at one point, um, in a manic episode, stabbed her husband. Um, and my father was a very large, imperious, dictatorial person, and um, would shout. And I mean, it seemed like the whole house would rattle with, with his voice. Um, and uh, and so I, I became a, a rather angry and impulsive adult. And uh, it's only in midlife and, and with practice that I've been able to come out of that and not emulate their their paradigms. But um, when I get angry, it, it makes me quite afraid that I'm going to lose control. Yes. Yes. Thank you. And it's true. We, we And that's one of our fears, that we will lose it. We will lose control. We If somehow we're going to end up doing something we regret. And so that puts additional pressure on us to push it down, which makes us more anxious, which then makes it more likely we will lose control. So part of, part of working with anger is exposing ourselves in doses to those deep feelings and with being able to, to, to know that we won't lose it. And that's exposure type work. And that's, that's usually done best with somebody to guide you through. And it can, be, it can be really helpful to, and to get at all those core issues that are underneath all of that. That's very, a lot of our anger is unconscious. A lot of our anger is rooted in old relationships from, from our caregivers. Um, and that's what, keeps us stuck. And so we have to get at all of that stuff to really be free from it. That's my experience anyway. Some people would say, well, Buddhist practice will do it all and we can just live in the moment and all that. And that's true for a lot of people, but for many of us that have these painful experiences, we need other kinds of work or could benefit from them. There's a flip side too, though, to uh, not expressing anger in the way that you recommend or your teacher recommends um, because when you're when you're a kid and you may be around people that um, instead of expressing their anger uh, just shut you out and that is really painful especially to children uh, to be shut out and ignored and your love withheld because you were bad And um, it kind of goes with that, I heard a Dharma talk about noble silence and how it can be unnoble if you're being silent out of anger or because you don't like what somebody's done. Um, so, um, yes, like either way. And it's not noble silence if inside we're saying, 
ooh, I'm a piece of shit because I got angry, you know? So that's not noble silence either because it's chattering in there. No one said it would be easy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really angry you said that. (laughs) 